Perry Unity Podcast. Before we start our introductions tonight, I do want to take it a second and apologize for my pronunciation of a lot of the towns we'll be discussing. If you're a fan in Norway, again, I apologize and bear with me. Tonight we have with us Antonio Gum from Paranormal Energy Norway, based out of Hunafoss, Norway. But before we bring Antonio on, let's talk a little bit about Hunafoss. Hunafoss is a town and the administrative center of the municipality of Ringerijk in Buskerud County, Norway. Hunafoss is an industrial center for Inner Oslandet, containing several factories and other industry. As of January 1st, 2008, Hunafoss has 14,177 inhabitants. In 1852, Hunafoss received town status and was separated from Norderhof, and in 1964, Hunafoss ceased being a separate municipality and became part of Ringerijk. The town is named after Hunafossen, a waterfall on the Begna River, and is located 63 kilometers northwest by road from the Norwegian capital of Oslo. Hunafoss is home to several factories and other industry, with Norske Skogfalum maintaining its headquarters in the city. Dating from 1873, Norske Skog is one of the largest producers of newsprint in Europe. According to folklore and legends, the Norwegian mountains and forests are riddled by trolls and other mysterious creatures. These aren't necessarily mean, but they do look rather scary and have frightened people for centuries. The idea of trolls comes from the old Norse mythology that is inspired by Jotunar, the main enemy of the gods. These creatures were giants, and in central parts of southern Norway, where the biggest mountains of northern Europe are located, lies the national park of Jotunheimen, the name meaning home of the giants. The northern lights even hold an interesting story here. Some think they alert danger, while others think that it's the souls of dead virgins floating across the night sky. In Norse mythology, it is called the Bifrost Bridge, or the Rainbow Bridge to Asgard. A few haunted locations in Norway include Norway's most important cathedral, which is also home to their most famous ghost. The monk of Nidarosdomen was first seen in 1924 by Bishop Marie Gledst, who claimed the apparition had a bloody gash along its throat. Ever since, there's been frequent reports of inexplicable chanting and organ music playing in the cathedral late at night. Among the many Norwegian places of lodging associated with the strange and supernatural, Dalen Hotel stands out as one of the most infamous. Guests and staff tell frequent stories of the notorious Room 17, where the ghost known as the English Lady spends her restless afterlife. The English Lady, formerly known as Miss Greenfield of England, checked into the Dalen Hotel on a spring morning in the late 19th century, where she spent several months as a guest. No one at the hotel knew of her pregnancy, However, when the staff entered her room after Miss Greenfield's departure, a dead infant was found. Miss Greenfield was arrested and charged with murder, but took her own life before the trial could begin. To this day, a table is still set for her at the hotel restaurant. Now, help me welcome to the Parity Podcast, Antonio Gum, for a first-hand look at some great haunted locations and some insight into the science of paranormal investigations used in Hunafoss, Norway. Antonio, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. Awesome. I appreciate you being on the show. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. Good. So I'm gonna I'll talk about this right away and we can kinda 
go into it a little bit more detail later. Your your team that you belong to is in um, Hunafoss, Norway, but yet you live in Cincinnati. That's correct. So I can just imagine the mileage you accrue in a year. Lots of air miles I get. Yeah. Uh, I usually get to uh, Norway um, maybe three or four times a year. Um, sometimes we go to another country, like recently, like I was telling you, we went and met in Ireland and investigate locations there. So uh, usually about three or four times a year um, I go over there to help investigate Okay, and and one thing I really have to say about your guys' team over there, you're very pro-para-unity. You guys are all about traveling around the world and meeting up and enjoying it with uh, many different teams. Yes, yes, we're, we're big believers in a para-unity. Um, like, uh, for example, I was telling you with the Ireland, we had a, a guy from uh, Wales. We had the two Irish team members. And then two of the Norwegians and me, uh, an American. So we're trying to build a bigger group and, uh, that way we can get many different viewpoints, uh, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, uh, and that way we can kind of work together and come to some kind of common understanding between all of us. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. I love, I love hearing it when teams are working together like that. Well, Antonio, how long have you been interested in, or how did you get interested in the paranormal? Well, my interest started all the way back, um, I don't know if you remember the show uh, In Search of with Leonard Nimoy. That's, yes, I do. <laughs> that's kind of what started my uh, interest in all this. Uh, I, I was raised on a Indian reservation, so I... Uh, down in Puerto Rico, I was part of the Taino tribe. So a lot of my spiritual beliefs there started in um, the spirit world and that. But um, fast forwarding uh, later on, I would say that I really delved into it around uh, 2008 because um, I'm a photographer. So a lot of great sculptures and art in cemeteries. So I had uh, gone to a cemetery one time and... The whole time I was feeling like I was being watched and I happened to be taking a picture in one spot when I heard footsteps run up behind me. So I turned around real quick and something felt like it ran right through me and I kind of gasped and sort of took my breath away. So that kind of really got me interested in thinking what had just happened. So I started searching for answers there. And then um, where I work at around 2010, uh, a couple of my friends had uh, decided to try and get together and start investigating locations and that. And they uh, took me to a place called the Octagon House in uh, Franklin, Kentucky. And uh, the amount of activity that I witnessed there uh, really impressed me uh, and just really got me hooked from there. So after that, I just kind of took off and went kind of crazy. <laughs> Some people would say crazy is the correct word for what we do. <laughs> okay, well, tell me a little about your guys' team. I know you were saying a little bit about you have some people here and there, and 
Who all really makes up the team? Okay. Well, in uh, Norway, um, there's Jane. Um, she's the team leader. And then there's Vigdis. Uh, and both of the two do a lot of spiritual work and practice mediumship and transmediumship. Uh, then they have uh, Kent, who is a um, real good equipment uh, type guy. He knows how all the equipment works and mathematical stuff and everything like that. And then they have uh, two new girls. Um, they have Helen and Camilla that just joined the team. So they're kind of in training right now. Um, they, they've been averaging about um, uh, two or three investigations every weekend. So they travel around uh, helping around people with uh, a lot of it is family Um Nothing bad or evil, um, just to help the families, spiritual families, communicate with their loved ones and things. Now, when I'm not in Norway investigating with them, uh, I have a, a, a friend here, Jessica, who uh, she goes with me uh, everywhere uh, investigating, and her husband, Anthony. So they're kind of my backups here. So, And then we just help people out who... Um, seem to have issues here over here it's kind of everybody thinks it's demonic and evil automatically so and then that's kind of what we help them with you know not everything is evil and demonic like the show on tv and things yeah that's definitely one of the big issues that a lot of teams face is you know everything that nobody anybody can explain or anything that nobody can explain has to e- e- instantly be evil. And Correct. I, it's it's nice that you guys are working so hard as you are to try and turn their their thought process around. Well, I, I believe that uh, the goal is to wake people up, to get them thinking outside of the box. And, you know, people naturally fear things. They don't understand it. So, and, and right where I'm at, it's, still technically considered part of the Bible Belt. So, you know, uh, so people have a lot of, uh, like like one of the issues that I faced when I started this was uh, my mom is a, a Roman Catholic. My dad's a Southern Baptist. So I was raised, you know, that way all my life and, you know, still believe in God and all that. Um, but then the way they make you, people make you feel like me and my father don't get along too much now because I'm, I'm doing this, but he believes that I'm playing with demons and this is the devil's work and I shouldn't be doing it, you know. So there's a lot of those old notions that uh, I got to help people get over. That you can still be a Christian, you can still be doing this all in the same way. So that that's kind of a, a lot of what we gotta work with in this area. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard that from a lot of different teams. So we can we can tackle this two different ways. I mean, you can you can kind of answer both if you like. Um, I wouldn't mind hearing about some good places that you have, like haunted locations there in the Cincinnati area, and definitely I wouldn't mind hearing about some places that you have out there in Hunavas, Norway. So. Whichever one you want to start with. Okay. Well, I'll start off 
um, in Norway, one of the uh, good spots that I went to uh, was called Truvang, uh, which is an old hotel. Actually, when I went there last year in May, there was a another Norwegian team that was doing an event there. Uh, somebody uh, named Harley. I, I, I can't remember the team. Um, but they were doing one of their movie screening premieres there. Uh, the hotel was extremely, extremely haunted. Uh, uh, apparently, from what I remember, uh, the stories, a lot of children burned up in a fire there. Uh, so there was a lot of that. Uh, the amount of evidence and uh, interactiveness that we had with the spirits with the uh the pedal boxes and the ITC was great communication. It, it, one of the questions that people always ask me, when you go to another country, all right, everybody's speaking Norwegian and the spirits are replying back in Norwegian. So how do I know what's going on? But from what I've seen is when I would ask a question in English, the spirits would respond back to me in English. So, you know, that that confuses people as how I can do investigations overseas with so many different countries and different languages. But the spirits will respond to you in the language that you understand. Yeah. So that was a real good location. Um, another one that we went to was the fairy tale house where uh, uh, Paranormal Energy Norway did their uh, event. And the, the history on that was um, the dark history, per se, was. When the Nazis invaded uh, Norway and took it over, they had turned the uh, house into a brothel. And it was part of the, uh, oh, I don't know if I can pronounce the word, Liebersam, which is the um, where the Nazis were reproducing, trying to make babies and everything like that. So that was one of the houses where that was going on. Uh, so that was a real good active location. We did uh, make contact with uh, what seemed to be a, a German person. Um, we also managed to find some of the uh, past house guests in there, um, a lot in the servant quarters. Um, so whoever was working with the servants was really horrible. Um, so that was another good one. Um, then there was Nurse Nest Kirk Runer, which was an abandoned church that was built around the 1100s. Uh, supposedly, people say it's like a demonic area uh, in there and everything, but uh, it was the site where they murdered one of the priests. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of shadows there and uh, a lot of good communication there. So those probably were my three favorite spots in Norway. But when I was also over there, uh, Jane took me across the border into Sweden, and uh, she took me to um, one of the uh, old mountain sites where uh, the Swedes had built up a, a defense against the Nazis in case they decided to uh, invade there. Uh, it, they never saw any action there, but I guess from the men being positioned there the whole time of the war. Um, there was a lot of residual activity there. 
Uh, and so a lot of the bunkers and everything are left there and some of the weapons and things. So that was a, another good site. And that was in Sweden. Now, here in uh, Cincinnati, uh, some of the good places I went to uh, was the Sedamsville Rectory. Although none of the history matches what's being said out there. There is activity there. Um, I went to that location three times, but now they shut the place down, so it's not open anymore. Um, another spot that I go to is Prospect Place, but that's not in Cincinnati. It's in uh, Dresden, Ohio. Uh, so it's about an hour and a half from here or so, up by Columbus in that. So that was um, uh, a mansion that's out in the middle of nowhere. Um to start off the history on that one, a train wreck had happened right by the mansion, so they stored all the bodies in the house. Um, so that's one negative aspect of there. Then also the little girl that was buried in the basement or kept there over winter. Uh, plus, later on, the uh, the mother of the house went crazy, so she's kind of roaming the halls and everything. But... Uh, that place has given me excellent uh, Class A EVPs, um, interactiveness upstairs. After that mansion was abandoned, the saint worshippers moved into the top and painted, you know, all the symbols and everything. So I don't know. It's probably a bunch of kids in that. But um, the attic is pretty, pretty active in that. But um, uh, then it. Indiana, which is about two hours from here, I would go to uh, Revenant Acres, and they claimed that a uh, possession took place. If you look it up on YouTube, they videotape the actual possession. But that 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 has a lot of good activity. I am not going to say that it's anything evil. I think that's just kind of the hype that they put with it. But but it is active and. You know, there's people moving around. You get good uh, EVPs and a lot of interactions in there. So those are some of my uh, favorite places. Yeah, it sounds like you, it sounds like you found some really good ones. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, when you're going to all these different locations, what what would you say is your favorite piece of equipment that you use? Uh, it's kind of hard. I, uh, right now, I'm really loving the uh, ITC. So uh, I hack my own radios, you know, the hack shacks. And so uh, I usually bring like maybe 20, 25 radios with me because I found out from experience that not one radio is going to work everywhere. It seems like the spirits seem to be kind of choosy. So like a lot of times the uh, blue Memorexes will do great. Um, but then if I go to another location, the 587s will work great. So I, I would say ultimately that the um, the pedal box and the uh, hack radios are my favorite piece of equipment because I can get real-time communication. Sure. Now, a lot of people may not be familiar with your pedal box. Do you want to explain it a little bit for people? Sure. Um, it, it's better known as, as a portal. Um Steve Huff uh, put one together and really popularized it. So he's 
got the name portal uh, copyrighted, so we just call it a pedal box. But basically what it is comprised of is an amplifier. Um, I use three different types of music pedals. Uh, I use a, a noise gate. Uh, I use a delay, and then I use a reverb. And then you just hook them all up together and that, and then you plug the radios into it. So you can kind of noise gate or take away all the radio static in there. And then you get the reverb. Um, from what Jane and I have found out that spirits really love um, the echo. I, I don't know if it's a, a, a source of energy from them, but they seem to manipulate well uh, when you add echo in, uh, in there. And then the, the reverb uh, basically just gives it that... Uh, cleaner kind of echo sound more uh like chorus and things like that so when you put them all together you get a real good clear uh communication versus using the sb7 where all you hear it is is banging noises and a lot of static in that like like they do on ghost adventures so and that sure and i mean you'll definitely open up a can of worms by <laughs> <laughs> give opening yourself up there with the SB7 because I know a, a lot of people are really really set on using those. Well, yes, and, and here's the thing: since because uh, I build equipment and I do the hacking, but from what I found out with the SB7, which you know people swear by them and that, but um, the uh, speaker inside the box. Uh, as you know, the speakers has a magnet to it, and that's kind of what makes it work. Well, it's way too strong. So that's why you get a lot of the distortion uh, in, uh, in there, so it doesn't sound so clear. There's also that school of thought that people say, well, the spirits need all the white noise to help uh, communicate with you. Uh, yeah, you might need some type of white noise, uh, I would say, but... I don't know, people use white noise to go to sleep with. So I kind of believe that uh, the less white noise you have, the better communication you have. I'll use other power sources for the spirits to help with connect. Like I use a plasma ball. I'll put the plasma ball out in the room, and it's a free source of energy. They can go over there and steal energy anytime they want. They leave your equipment alone, and they... Self-tune, like Jane had a, an investigation at her location there in Norway, and the uh, spirits kind of went in and tuned the pedal box until they got it right. So, and they were kept going test, 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 and they were saying that over the radio and everything until they finally got it down to the right frequencies. I ultimately believe that it's all about frequencies that the spirits manipulate and that's what they use to communicate then what's your opinion then on you know you're talking about making sure they find the right frequencies what makes you think that they're able to leave their voices on the audio recorders then do they record they just happen to record at the right frequency or what do you think well it's it's a Good question, but I, I do believe ultimately it, it is the frequencies by being able to manipulate the frequency, like like uh, the DD, what is it, R60. 
which is one of the best recorders for recording EVPs. Um, and it doesn't have as many filters on that, but um, ultimately it's easier to manipulate frequencies and things. So that way they can leave imprints on their uh, recordings. You know, like the old uh, stone tape theory, they uh, imprint energy. Uh, even nowadays, uh, actual professional archaeologists are going back and reading um, like old pottery they find. They've been able to hear the pottery wheels being uh, the sound is imprinted on the actual vase, and archaeologists now are being able to tune in there and listen to the sounds of the, the pottery being made. So there's an actual uh, science to it on that. Yeah, because aren't they taking it and essentially they're flipping the pot over and they're running like a old like radio needle like they used to use for the um, LP records, and they're running that Correct. along the grooves, and that's how they're getting the noise. Correct. And then that's where also, yeah, comes up into the theory of, you know, residual hauntings. You know, not every place you investigate is an actual haunted location. It just might have imprints of energy or residual energy. And it's basically like a stuck record player playing that same scene over and over. So it's kind of the same concept like that. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I appreciate you kind of giving your input on it. Do you, um, speaking a little bit more about the equipment, especially being since you're one that, you know, you build a lot of your own equipment and you hack out a lot of stuff, do you have any kind of tips or tricks that work for you to kind of get better responses? Um, well, I, I do believe in experimentation. You know, I, I don't believe once you got this built and you're getting a response, I don't believe that's it, that we're going to stop there because, uh, I always believe that you can build and improve. My, my biggest tip to people when it comes to equipment is learn your equipment. Like like people use the K2. Love the K2 and everything. I use it also. I think it's it's great. But it there do people know the specs on it? Um, do they know that it only reads house current, even though the manufacturer says? that it can read frequencies from another thing. So it runs on the, uh, I believe, the 50 to 60 hertz is what it's calibrated for to detect. So, you know, you got to know exactly what you're detecting when you use that. Like some people will use static detectors. Okay, well, what kind of static are we uh, checking? Are we checking negative static, positive static? Um, you know, how... Things that uh, manipulate the equipment. Like if I uh, take static detectors and move it or I take the K2 and move it around real quick, I'll, I'll get flashes. People sometimes go into investigations and they don't turn their phones off or put it in flight mode or they get their cameras too close and set it off. So my, my biggest tip is learn your equipment, know it back and forth and know its limitations and know what it can do, and that way you can get really better results, and then your evidence will be more credible that way. Yeah, that's a great tip. I don't think people spend enough time actually like just reviewing and going over all their equipment before they actually start using the stuff. It's more of a, I got this, I'm excited, I need to go play with it. 
Correct. And, and also another thing that I noticed teams doing, which I used to do the same thing when I first got into it. To me, it was all about equipment, all about equipment, put it everywhere and everything. Um, and even though I use the pedal boxes and things like that, um, don't, don't forget the basics. Like, um, you can do silent EVPs or placing reporters there. Do your research also. It's not all about equipment. Some, some teams that I see, it's all about the equipment, what they can get on the equipment, and that's it. There's many facets to an investigation, research, interviews. Um, I study psychology because when I go interview a um, client, I need to learn the client. Like I, I have a belief scale that I use mm-hmm. that allows me to put um, the client. Like, uh, for example, if they're like a Christian person, it'll tell me that a lot of the experiences they're going to describe to me are coming from that point of view. Like they're going to say it's demonic or things like that. Or some people are believe in aliens, so they're going to talk about uh, paralysis at night. They're just being abducted by aliens. So, so I, I kind of use my belief scale to kind of see where the person lies and what their belief is to what they're going to tell me. And then, then I start doing the um, psycho uh, analysis of the person to let me know if they're just seeking attention. Um, I study medicines to see if there's any side effects to it um, that could be causing that. And you got to study medical to see if there's any kind of uh, like uh, a good example for the medical would be um, I went to a house and only the daughter was uh, experiencing activity at night and seeing things and all that. The house was a brand new house built in 2009. Everything was good, uh, well kept and everything. So I started uh, digging deeper and I found out that the house before um, was full of mold. And then that's why they had to move out. So once I started looking into that, um, only 25% of the population will have symptoms from mold. And one of them is hallucinating and seeing things. And even though you left that apartment with that, it's going to take a while for it to get out of your system. So what we concluded and found out that she was just suffering from the, the mold symptoms and that. So that you got to get into your medical and start studying. Like um, people will talk about exorcisms uh, being possessed. Well, a lot of those um, symptoms mimic uh, schizophrenia. So and that's kind of why the church had to, uh, Calm down with the exorcisms. They got themselves in trouble with uh, a case, uh, Annalise, and that where she was schizophrenic and she ended up dying. So it, you got to study all the medical, mental. Um, so there's many facets to doing an investigation, and you just can't go in with one point of view. And you also have to leave your beliefs out of it too. Um, so you, you don't want to pollute the investigation with your beliefs or steer it that way. So there's a lot to it. Yeah, no, and I I completely agree with you. And speaking of different points of view, um, I do want to have us talk a little bit here. You are actually a, is it a chief editor or co-editor for a paranormal magazine? It's called the Paranormal Inquisitor magazine? 
Yeah, uh, I'm the chief editor. It's the International Paranormal Inquisitor. Um, it's a total free magazine. Um, what I do is I have authors from all over the world um, putting uh, their thoughts in there, um, their tips, their stories, or they talk about locations that's in their country. Like we have the lady from Bulgaria. We have one from Ireland. We have the Norwegians. Swedes, Americans, Australians. So we try to get everybody from all over the world to write what they believe. There's no rules when um, I, I tell them, write whatever you want. There's no length, no no subject matter or anything. I, I give a theme for the magazine that's usually just for the cover, but people are free to write whatever they want as long as they're being nice. Uh, but uh, Total Free Magazine, we put it on the um, team webpage. Everybody can download it. We even have um, Urbex Explorers that put all their fantastic art and pictures in there. Okay. That's awesome. Well, Antonio, I, looking at the time here, I see that we've already reached our time for the night. Um, I do want to thank you again for being on the show and I'll make sure to put links up for all that stuff on our on our page notes for the episode, so that way people can check it out. And I do encourage our listeners to make sure you go to their site so you can take a look at their magazine. That sounds great. I'd appreciate that. And they can always ask any questions if anybody has anything. I can be reached. Sure. And are they able to uh, contact you if they have a story they want to submit? Yes, yes. I'm always looking. Uh, our next issue will be coming out in September. Um, deadline is August, and we want everybody to submit everything. There's no size. Uh, last issue was uh, over 100 pages, so the more the merrier. That's awesome. Well, like I said, Antonio, I appreciate you coming on tonight. All right. Well, thank you for having me on here. I appreciate it. Yep, you have a good night. We'll talk to you later. All right. You too. Thanks again to Antonio Gum from Paranormal Energy Norway for being our guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. Please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes or whatever directory you listen to us on. It means a lot to us, and we want to hear your feedback to help make our show just a little bit better. My name is Brandon, and you've been listening to the best place to bring our paranormal teams a little closer together, the Para Unity Podcast. <laughs>